Hi everyone. It is currently 12:13 p.m. on September 26, 2021. It is Sunday. We are here at the University of Virginia campus in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, we just finished up a historical tour of the campus and we learned a lot about the really complex history of this campus um, with many enslaved laborers building the campus and really making the campus run. So we had a really wonderful, wonderful tour guide. Her name is Katrin Waters and we are here at the UVA, UVA is University of Virginia, by the way. We're here at the UVA Memorial to Enslaved Laborers, and we're going to start chatting about it. And I'm going to go ahead and record some of Katrin's remarks, and I'm going to be recording the discussion that we have. And then at the end, we'll wrap it up with a little question and answer with Katrin. So I'm going to go ahead and start recording that now. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, we can start with this discussion. What I usually like to do after this point is ask people what details they may have noticed as they're walking through. And I believe you were talking about the water feature. Um, I'm happy to discuss that. Uh, there's a lot of uh, symbolism in every single detail of this monument. And the water is no exception. Sadly, it's not running right now. Um, but usually this current is representative of drawing on ideas of rivers and currents that would bring enslaved laborers to freedom wherever they needed to go to a free state or to Canada. Additionally, it's reminiscent of libation ceremonies, I believe is what they're called. Um, this was a traditional African ceremony uh, designed using water. Um, to honor ancestors. So in a way, by choosing this in particular, um, they're also honoring the individuals um, who have passed who are represented by this memorial. Now, are there any details that you guys notice as you're walking through that you want to discuss? Well, it's interesting how they had the uh, father, sister, right. aunt, you know, the, the title, who they were, what, what, exactly. what their title was, what yes. their position. This, this was really intentional, and this is uh, one of my, actually probably my favorite parts of the monument. Um, as we've discussed, this, the workers who are here, we don't, we don't know too much, specifically names. We don't know um, a lot of biographical information, um, and this is something that's even noted by, uh, you may have noticed, uh, I use the term enslaved laborers as much as possible rather than slaves, um, partly because history has taught us to objectify these people, um, to literally see them as a commodity that was being sold and um, like profited off of. But these are individuals. These are lives. These are these are people who had lives just as complex and diverse as each and every one of us, just with the additional constraint that they were enslaved laborers. So by choosing to put roles like father, mother, brother, maybe that's all they had written down in a in a um, ledger somewhere, but also it, it brings back some humanity to the idea that these were people. And another additional part of this has to do um, of that like ring of the memorial has to do with the concept of memorialization. And so I want to ask you guys actually, what do you think of when you think of memorials? Usually, yeah. 
Usually honoring dead people. Right, right. This is true. And often honoring famous people. Right, honoring famous people. This is very valid. Um, you guys are about to go into uh, Washington, D.C., right, in a few days? Mm-hmm. Think of memorials there, right? They're they're pretty different than this one. They're huge. They're imposing. Um, and it also tra- like draws back on this idea of um, the memorials that were in place here in 2017 and being taken down. Um, historically, these Confederate monuments were put up several decades, actually, after the Confederate um, the Confederates had lost, the Confederacy had fallen. Um, and it was actually these four statues that were in contention were donated by John McIntyre, who's also the name, the namesake of our School of Commerce here. Um, he donated specifically these four monuments to be placed at the outskirts of uh, communities in Charlottesville that were majority people of color. And they were more along the lines of the other memorials that might come to mind. Uh, they're large, they're imposing. Um, they're additionally of figures of white supremacy uh, and very intentionally placed in these locations, not to really memorialize, but rather to be threats, right? To remind the people who are living there who's in charge, what is actually the reality of the situation that they're living in, um, and to also remind them of where they're coming from. And so this memorial is, in fact, designed to be basically the antithesis of this idea of memorialization and rather take back and make it something active. And so this is where we come back to the the roles that you noticed. Um, A lot of you may have noticed also that the lines, um, there are quite a few that have not that. Yeah, there are more blank than not. And this comes back to the mere fact that we don't have access to who these people were. There are over 4,000. I think we have partial records for around 889. And so they've written down those, but they've left open spaces because this is supposed to be an active, active memorialization. The people who designed this and are working on it still are working with members of the Charlottesville community. There's a group called Descendants that's actually going through um, ancestral DNA records with Charlottesville residents who are also um, by virtue of the fact that they live here, sometimes descendants directly of the individuals who were enslaved or rented by the university. So as they're going through these ancestral DNA records, finding perhaps more ledgers, they wanted to allow space to allow for this to be an active active memorialization by adding names as they find them. Um, so this really is meant to be the antithesis of all of that of all of that um, uh, scare tactics. And uh, and it's additionally, uh, as you'll know, we were standing in the center earlier, but it, and some of the other details that I mentioned also about the location, why it's closer to the Charlottesville community, is because this was meant to be a welcoming space, a space where the community can gather. And so every year now, now that this exists, um, there's planned to be on Liberation Day, a March for Unity that will start here or end here. And it's supposed to be um, advocating for these discussions, advocating for um, Charlottesville community to be able to come in and uh, experience this. Um, There's a really important detail as well um, about the rings. So the rings were very specifically chosen um, to be reminiscent of several things. 
for one. Um, there's a practice of bush harbors, as I believe they're called, uh, which was where enslaved communities would go into forests. Um, additionally, this is part of the reason why we have so many of these trees around. Um, stand in circles and have community events, uh, like maybe just church communion or the announcement of a death, a wedding. Um, so this was reminiscent of that, as well as a traditional ring shout dance that you can also see in enslaved communities um, and hails from West Africa. Additionally, you'll note that, that the circle uh, is actually broken, and this is supposed to represent the unshackling, the, a broken chain. Um, so you have these three concentric circles, the one being the center, um, where you have this free space of um, of gathering, of allowing the community to come in, um, of being able to host these events. The second circle, as you guys noted, um, places the context and the history in the historical context of the time. So you have big events um, noted, as well as smaller ones. You might have seen day-to-day uh, -day pictures, just showing the kind of um, information that we might have access to and trying to give a little more context to these lives. And finally, you have this outer ring of um, the names of the enslaved laborers we do know, as well as allowing space for that extra memorialization. Um, and on the final outer ring, at certain hours of the day, if you're walking by the corner, you'll see um, the engraving uh, creates a shadow that is a picture of Isabella Gibbon's eyes. And if you notice, on the outside of uh, the memorial, you have a quote from Isabella Gibbons that references the idea that we cannot forget um, the cruelties of slavery. So are there any questions at this point about the memorial or memorialization in general? I was wondering about the uh, individual stone sort of like railroad ties around the outside. On one side, it doesn't go all the way around. That's fascinating. I don't know specifically about that detail. I wouldn't be surprised if it had something to do with the Underground Railroad. Um, this was specifically, I think it's called the Freedom Path because it is following that exact um, like degradation line of when the, of the sunset on that day of liberation. Um, so I, I I could postulate that it has something to do with that. I don't want to say for sure, um, but yeah, there's so many specific details of this monument and I'm not an architecture major so I don't know specifically every single tiny detail but they they are all very intentional I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring us to a close here okay but I want to give you a chance to, so Katrin this has been an incredible tour yeah. with us um, this has been really great and we, we were supposed to go for an hour with Katrin yeah. we've gone for three it's a bit over. <laughs> um, but we will compensate her fully yep. for that time together. Okay, that's part of who we are. Can we ask you to finish us up with, um, why do you do these tours? Yeah, this is great. Um, so a lot of the conversation, I'm really happy to say has been really generative and um, we've, I hope, given you a little bit of a depiction of the student body here, of the history of UVA, of how it's dynamic and the students are constantly trying to hopefully move towards better. The reason that I specifically give these tours and the reason actually why I almost told that story about Jefferson and Adams earlier, um, my family 
is a family of historians. We, there are, I think, eight people in my parents, uncles, grandparents, etc., who all majored specifically in history. My grandfather had a PhD in the history of the American Revolution, and I always grew up hearing these stories. And so I was really instilled from a young age with an understanding of just how important and real and living history is. And I think part of this has to do with this idea, so much of this has to do with historiography, with how you choose to tell histories. And so I feel really, really honored to be part of a group of people that are trying to take the real history of people who were living here and use that to foster conversations like these that we've had today, not only with people who I understand you guys are all like of a similar political ideology, understanding moral viewpoint as me. But as I said earlier, a lot of the people who come on these tours quite literally never been introduced to the idea that Jefferson is not a saint and that everything exactly that everything that he's done is not like dripping in gold and he's just a perfect example of humanity because that's how we've chosen to tell history in in the United States. So by giving a chance to give these tours and have these conversations and speak to people, I just hope that this organization and the tours I give are able to push towards a more inclusive, a more diverse, a more equal future that is more conscientious and rooted in the history. And the way that I like to end the tour actually with the first years, um, which I think you might find interesting, is to try to instill this idea that, yes, we're on a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's pretty easy to tell that there's history here, right? Like Jefferson did this, that, whatever. But students still forget about that on the day to day. They're just eating their bagels on the lawn. They don't care. But when you go out into the Charlottesville community, there's nothing. Sure, the UNESCO World Heritage Site ends at some border, but the history, the layers of history are still there. The places where the first years are going are being actively gentrified and pushing out historically people of color communities from where they were living. So if you're not actively trying to have these conversations and present the information to people, they'll have no way to understand and to, and to take themselves out of this. I, ignorance is a strong word, but it, it's how we're born. We're born ignorant to all of this. We need to make active steps to understand and to be better citizens. So, yes, that's why I give these tours. <laughs> Thank, you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for coming. This has been my favorite tour I've ever had. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to Katrin. So we are going to ask Katrin. Actually, we're gonna we're just gonna leave it on that. That was a really great ending. Um. So yeah, it has been a really wonderful day. It has been a true joy and pleasure meeting Katrin and the wonderful young students of UVA that are working for a more just and inclusive democracy. Have a great day, everyone. Bye.